I'm talking today about um, God as our hero. Come on. There are a lot of people dropping things today. This is the time if you'd like to drop things, go right ahead right now. This would be the dropping things part of the service. So, okay, let's read this together. This is Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Andy, was that one of the verses you've been reading? That's one of the very verses. I didn't realize. I thought maybe. Let's read that one more time. Let's just sink in. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so Colossians 1 there tells us about the great redemption, the great work um, God has done for humanity in Christ Jesus. And, and there's so much in there, we could not possibly touch all of it. So let's go to Romans chapter 5, 5 through 10. It's the next slide. Let's read this one together. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Just stop right there a second. Paul says, whether you understand or know or feel it, the love of God, past tense, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. One of the things believers need to realize is they have more than they know they have. And that's going to be something we'll talk about a little bit more this morning. Okay, why is it hope does not disappoint? How is it that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given it to us? For, and this begins to give you an idea of who God really is that causes love to flow out of our hearts and causes our hope to uh, come alive. For, when we were what? Still without strength. In due time, Christ died for the righteous. No, 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 no. Christ died for, starts with an I, R, the rest of us. No, Christ died really for the rest of us, for the ungodly. It's an awesome thing to know you're ungodly. Because it puts you in the classification of people for whom Christ died. If you don't come ungodly, you're going to have a lot of trouble walking with the Lord. You shouldn't stay that way. But uh, nevertheless, for when we were, here's why we have hope. Here's why Love flows out of our hearts because it has dawned upon us that when we had no strength and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Four, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, my. Potent verses of Scripture. Let's go to this last one. 
which won't make a whole lot of sense at first, but I'll try to tie it together. This is Zechariah, one of the minor prophets, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For thus says who? The Lord of hosts. Let's say that again. For thus says the Lord of hosts. There are dozens of compound names of God in the Old Testament, each of which describe another attribute of who he is. Jehovah Rafi, Jehovah Sekidni, uh, just uh, they go on and on and on. Elyon, Elohim, Adonai, they just go on and on. And it's not, shouldn't be an argument over which one's right. That's a crazy way to look at it. It's to understand that it takes those compound names to give us an inkling of how marvelous God is, how profound a person he is, what his character is really like. And so in Zechariah, there's a job that the Lord of hosts does. That's the Lord of armies, or that's the warrior God, or you could call him the hero God. And so Zechariah promises here, the prophet says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He has sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. And I'm not going to read the last verse there, it really doesn't add to what we're saying but when it says he who touches you touches the apple of his eye the apple of the eye old testament phrase is talking about the pupil of a natural eye and what the lord is saying is he who touches you is like someone who pokes god in the eye he doesn't like it now A lot of people don't talk about this, and I don't talk about it much because it feeds into too much of um, the wrong kind of fearful understanding of God. But it really does say, even in the New Testament, say in Colossians 3, verse 25, but he who does wrong will will be repaid for what he has done, and there's no partiality. For he who, has, who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there's no partiality. You know, the interesting thing is that's true unless there's repentance. When there's repentance and forgiveness, then God has no... He, he, he doesn't repay you. Jesus already paid. But there's this idea that when you're, when you're a child of God and you're legitimately wounded or harmed by someone who is not repentant, it really upsets the Lord on your behalf. On your behalf. And um, God is a hero. The origin or source for the word hero comes from the Greek word meaning warrior, protector, or defender. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts is used numerous times in the Old Testament. It's not rare. It's normal. It's a normal definition. God's a warrior. He wars over your life. He wants to save you. He wants to save you out of current situations. Um, now, I talked about just momentarily there the etymology. That's the origin. It means the, the word origin of a word. But what's the etymology of Jesus? What's his origin? Well, he comes, his father's the Lord of armies. 
His father's the warrior Lord. The amazing thing about Jesus was, in his warlike concept, he did something that so confused the enemy, he has yet to get over it. Instead of conquering the enemy through force, he conquered the enemy through weakness. He became so weak by bearing our sin and taking our place and giving up his life that he absolutely stripped from the devil every legal accusation he has against us before God because he paid the full penalty for who we are, what we've done wrong or what we should have done right or whatever we are constitutionally in any aspect of sin however your theology, doctrine, or reality parses that. Out of weakness, he became a hero. You see, what is a true hero? Well, to me, a hero is someone who's selfish. One of the things that sort of aggravates me when I listen to professional sports is all these guys talk about their legacy, their legacy, their legacy, their legacy. What's LeBron's legacy? I don't care what LeBron's legacy is. I was a Warrior fan anyway. I sort of got hacked off by that whole thing. Nevertheless, he's an amazing athlete. You can't take away from him. But he's not a hero. He's getting paid millions of bucks. Hey, listen, I might work out too if you gave me millions of bucks. You know. But that's not what a hero is. A hero is someone who is selfless. Someone who does something out of love. Someone who is sacrificial. That's a true hero. Someone who will do what he's going to do no matter what the current climate or what people think about him really is. That's Jesus. My goodness, we just read it. When we were sinners, he died for his enemies. You know, it said it, you know, there are some guys that might actually give their life for a good man. But there's They're scarce. But he gave his life while we were yet sinners. He paid that ultimate price. We will never know. I don't think we have the capacity to know what Jesus suffered. Because what he suffered was not just physical suffering. It was not just soulish suffering. It was not just spiritual suffering. It was like this cosmic suffering. There was something about his suffering that was so deep and so profound and so amazing That it has the capacity to remove the entire weight of mankind's sin and that sin burden. And that burden has been removed. But it is not enjoyed by those except those who by faith accept the offering and the sacrifice God brought. That's really good, Robin. It says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Well, David's not here, so I'm going to do it for him. I'm encouraging myself. I don't need encouragement this morning because I've got a hero. Jesus was not a legend. He was not a mythological figure. He's not like the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or Paul Bunyan or Hercules, Hercules or the X-Men or Superman or the Cape Crusader or Batman. He really lived. He really died. He really was raised from the dead. He really did do 
everything we've heard He did and more. There are not words to accurately express the work of God because the work of God is beyond words and words are beggared when they come to describe what it was Jesus really did for us when we stood in opposition to Him constitutionally and behaviorally. That's what a hero does. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. It's so important to the Lord to be received, to be embraced, that that very act transfers you in your experience from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love. He has done everything it takes except your believing to make it yours. The gospel is an invitation into a life of abundance. It really is. It's an invitation into a lifestyle where everything has been provided. Everything has been provided. But faith is the actualizer. Faith is the element that manifests in your life those things we've been freely given. Works don't do it. Goodness doesn't do it. College diplomas, male, female, black, white, right, member of this or that does not do it. The field has been leveled. What does it is do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe His heart for you? In Mark 8.31, it says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. And Peter disagreed with him. He said, no, I don't, I don't think we're going to let that happen. Jesus, you're too important. But they didn't understand why he came. In Matthew 20 Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, You know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just like the Son of Man, who did not come to be served, but came to serve and give his life, what? Who can complete that? A ransom. A ransom. Whether you know it or not, whether you knew it or not, you were either kidnapped or a slave. And you had no hope in this world. You had no hope for eternal life apart from the ransom. And that word literally means that which looses, that which releases, that which sets free. There's something about the, uh, an understanding of the blood of Jesus. There's something about the work of the cross. There's something about the death of Jesus that has the capacity to set you free from every single thing in your life. Every issue. Every problem. You just have to work through it. Sometimes it's automatic. Sometimes it takes a while. But the, what my conclusion is, I've looked everywhere else. I made, what, what, what did Andy, what are we saying? I'm not going back. Jesus is a warrior who saves. 
Now, it's great to talk about him being a savior. It's great to talk about him being a warrior. It's great to read these verses of scripture. But what, how does it work? Does it work? Well, some of you know this. Some of you may not. I've been a Christian 50 years. Um, I've been through any number of situations, problems. And I thought about one, if I went back and enumerated crises in my life, there are at least four specific crises in my life where I could not save myself in a certain situation. So this morning I wanted to, to share one just as a testimony. In September, Don and I will celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. And we have had, as far as our relationship with each other, just the smoothest relationship you could imagine. It's, it's crazy. I mean, she's either way, way better than me or I'm better than people think. <laughs> but uh, now we've had problems and troubles, but they haven't been between us. Yeah, she's a wonderful woman, but she's that way by the grace of God. But we had a very rocky courtship. We broke up with each other. Uh, Last count, it was five. And a lot of it had to do with my own personal instability, woundedness, um, insecurity, whatever. Now, you know, the problem with opening your heart like this is you forget that I was a member of the ODK, the National Honor Society, and I was president of the junior class. And I'm how amazing I really am. Now, what I mean is that's what happens sometimes when you open your life up to people and they see your problems. They don't, they forget you're not your problem. And, and see, if, if you despise your spiritual leadership, it gets you in trouble. So I don't want to give you reasons to think little of me. I want to give you reasons to think a lot of God. That makes sense. Well, through that process, I became depressed, despair, and, and hopeless. And I could not get out of it. I was probably 1970, 1975, so I was 24. And um, nothing I could do. And a lot of it, and this may help, a lot of it has to do with self-focus and just being self-centered, thinking about yourself all the time. That is not a way to live. Uh, A friend of mine, pastor of mine, Harry Bazell, used to say self-centeredness is the landing pad for demonic oppression. If you think about yourself all the time, you're going to get depressed. It's just the way it works. Matter of fact, um, you need an ego. You need a good ego. You need a good sense of self. And then you need to realize how egotistical you are so that you can begin to live for someone in something other than yourself. But you've got to have a good sense of self to actually do part two. Most people get to part two on their deathbed when they realize what a bum they've been all their lives and how long they've lived for themselves. But we are not that way here. We understand there's more to life than what we get out of it, right? Like our hero. And the wonderful thing is when you realize that, you really do get more out of life than you ever could living for yourself. Well, then I had a dream, and in this dream I was stranded on this ledge overlooking this dangerous cliff, and I was about to fall off, and there were people reaching out trying to help me, 
And that really was true spiritually. There were people around me trying to help me, and I, they couldn't help me. And there was this rock that, that went out over the top, so I couldn't climb up. And the way down was certain death. And I could see people trying to help me. And all hope was gone. And then in the dream, suddenly, and I don't even know how, I was on top of that rock instead of under it, and I was safe. And at that point, the Lord gave me a song to sing. You know, I don't write, I've written songs over the years, but they're old school. Nobody likes them but me. (laughs) But the Lord gave me this song, and the chorus goes, He's done it in me. Yes, he's done it in me. Jesus has come and he's set me free. No more sorrow. Despair has fled away. I stand in the victory. He's put me there to stay. This was all going on at the same time. And the Lord said, I want you to sing that song. And I said, Lord, it's not true. And he said, well, it is true. Sing it. You'll see. I said, but Lord, it's, it's not true. I'm, I'm in. He says, sing it. Mightier works has never a man done than when God the Father sent Jesus the Son. The lame man, the blind man, he healed them one and all. He ransomed captive Israel and saved us from the fall. He's done it in me. I'm thinking, you haven't done anything in me. I'm miserable. He's done it in me. Jesus has come and he has set me free. Man, I'm not feeling this. No more sorrow. Despair has fled away. I stand in the victory. He put me there to stay and I started feeling a little bit better singing it. Revival has come and how my heart does soar. Jesus has won. The battle is no more. The devil has lost. He has no domain. Open up your hearts, you saints. Here comes latter rain. Glory to God. He's made me a son. I don't deserve it, but that's what he's done. Join heirs with Jesus. We ever shall reign. I wait for the promise. He's coming again. And as I began to sing that song, my life began to change. I don't mean I was singing it in public. I mean that was my song. That was my proclamation. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? See, people use that to mean nobody can walk together in any circumstance unless they're agreed with everything. But no, what it means is the power of the release of a relationship is an agreement. An agreement is expressed through proclamation. And if the Lord has done everything necessary to set you free and you don't agree and you proclaim the opposite, you can't enjoy your bank account. You're not cashing checks. You're agreeing with the debtors. You're agreeing with your creditors. You're agreeing with your emotions. You're agreeing with your feelings instead of he who is greater than all those things who says, it is finished. I've done it. And that concludes my message this morning. (laughs) Crisply, punctually at 1030. But no. How many of you need this kind of touch from God? Oh, you, 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 yes, yes. 
Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. How many of you really need help? Come on. How many of you just really, you really need help? You need help in your mind. Your mind's going to follow your mouth, ladies and gentlemen, if you're saying the right things. And I don't mean you're a parrot. I mean, do you agree with this gospel you've heard? Can we not break off the religious trappings, the do's and the don'ts, and believe the simplicity of the gospel? That's my testimony. That's my testimony. He's done it in me. And it's a lifestyle, agreeing with God, saying what he says. Amen. We do have uh, ministry teams here that would love to pray for you, and they're prophetic, and they also pray for healing. And so... If you would like any of that kind of ministry, if you'll come up right over here on this side of the room, we'll be glad to to help you. That's a good thing, right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Lord, it's like blinders need to come off of our eyes so we can see profoundly what you did for us, profoundly who you are in us. So, Lord, we ask, I ask along with the Apostle Paul that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to know the profundity, the width, the length, the depth, the height of your love, of what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I think what we're doing here is just sort of wetting your appetite for breakthrough. You know, breakthrough normally comes for people when their belief structures, their false belief structures crumble and the truth begins to emerge. Sometimes that doesn't happen automatically. Don't give up on the Lord. Some things he does quickly and automatically Other things take time. Don't give up on the Lord. Give up on giving up. Amen. Okay. Hey, pray to next week's the picnic, Park Road Park. It's going to be fun. Hey, I love the Guzmans. I see the Guzmans sitting back there. Let's give up for the Guzmans. Amen. You may be dismissed, but you don't have to leave. Hang out. Talk to people. Have some fun.